You're listening to the High Performance Hoops Podcast, bringing you your one-stop shop on all things training, sports performance, nutrition for athletes, and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and help you crack the code on elite athletic performance with your host, Julian Lacosto. What up, fellow Hoopers, basketball enthusiasts, and coaches out there? Welcome to episode 9 of the High Performance Hoops podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I am your host, as always, Julian Locasto. If you're new here, guys, hit that subscribe button. If you've been here before, throw us a rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. We love having you here. Guys, welcome back to another episode. It is currently Sunday, November 6th that I am recording this. Uh, You guys will probably be hearing this a couple weeks later uh guys we are officially uh the jets are officially in guys uh i just got done watching the game and we just took down the number one team in the nfl and the bills and we're six and three i'm i'm very hyped up about this um so if you guys are some fellow jet fans listening to this you guys are are gonna be pretty excited i don't know how how exciting it'll be in a couple weeks when you hear this but uh as of right now i'm gonna ride the high on the win um but anyway guys getting to today's episode um today we're gonna be talking about my beef with speed and or agility ladders and why they aren't getting you faster or more agile um First and foremost, uh, I want to talk about the four main areas in terms of why I really don't think that they're going to be helpful. Um, One, force application, guys. When it comes to getting faster and building speed, essentially force is the main driver here. Whether it's how much force or the magnitude of force, basically you have to be able to produce a ton of force into the ground at the right time and in the right direction. Essentially, the higher your engine is, guys, the better we'll be able to accelerate. Next, and I I kind of alluded to this in my previous statement, but direction of force. So being able to, you know, produce force in the correct direction for acceleration specifically being able to produce forceful horizontal strides into the ground or being able to produce a ton of force in the right direction is crucial to improving our ability to accelerate into the ground when you're doing speed ladders and you're going tippy tappy side to side um and all these pre-rehearsed patterns you're not really being forceful. It's more about just being quick off the ground. So you're not getting that forceful um, strides into the ground that you would need to essentially cover more ground. Um, go watch the game itself. I, I say this a lot and I know it kind of gets redundant when I say this, but go watch the game and it leaves a ton of clues. You know, if you're watching, if you're a basketball guy listening to this, if you're a football guy listening to this, if you're whatever sport you're in, go watch the sport. I 100% guarantee if a guy is quick, it's because he's actually being able to produce tons of force into the ground, whether it's straight line speed or change of direction, you're going to see some sort of forceful um, push into the ground. Yeah, so that's number one. Number two, gaining ground. In sports in general, if you watch, 
you're going to be seeing an athlete trying to move efficiently in a positive direction. So are you doing that? If you watch the sport, you'll notice the trends. If the athlete is trying to get somewhere, whether again, whether it's straight line, speed, lateral, transverse, change of direction, whatever the case is, guys, if the athlete's trying to get somewhere in multiple planes, they have to be able to gain ground forcefully. So again, if you're not doing so, again, watch someone do a speed ladder or an agility ladder. They're not being able to cover ground or gain ground just because of there's no forceful projection into the ground. So that's number two. Number three, spatial awareness. So when we talk about agility or speed ladders, it's all pre-rehearsed patterns. Essentially what that's going to do, it's, it's going to cause the athlete to have their head down trying to mimic a memorized pattern of movement versus where you see in sport where the athlete's head is being more up and the eyes are kind of scanning the court to read and react to defenses or or defenses reacting to offensive player movement. Whatever the case may be, in sport, the eyes are always going to be up scanning the environment and reacting to visual auditory or chaotic environments they're not going to be looking down at their feet to try to memorize patterns so that's number one essentially you know when we're looking at this forces applied into the ground is going to be what gets us places versus choppy steps so take that as you will for that one and the last one the argument about conditioning you know when we look at conditioning drills A lot of sport coaches have conditioning drills in place and they don't even realize what they're trying to do. You know, a lot of people say, well, speed ladders and such, they're good for conditioning. Great. That's a great argument to make, but watch the game. (laughs) Watch the game. Are you matching the demands of the sport? You know, if you watch the game and you sit there with a timer and you time an actual play where there's tons of change of direction, stop, starts, whatever, time an actual offensive or defensive possession and the different movements that you're going to see in that, that I bet you you're not matching the demands of the sport by doing tippy-tappy drills for for tons and tons of time uh, for conditioning. Go watch the game. Go watch player movement. And match the sporting demand with your conditioning work. Get a timer, time of play, create conditioning environments that match the work to rest ratio seen in your sport. And make the conditioning work competitive, reactive, and at game speeds. You know, game speed is a very loose term that I like to throw around because in sports, game speeds can be varying speeds. There's different changes of pace versus constant running and obviously making kids, you know, run till they puke. So when it comes to sport guys, and you're trying to make conditioning drills, follow these guidelines. And I, I bet you they're not going to line up with the stuff you're doing on a speed ladder. Next, guys, do I think they have a place in training? I obviously think that there's some sort of place in training for these kind of modalities like the speed ladder, if we look, there's such there's things where I really do feel like they fall into place. One, warm-ups. Simple, guys. It's fun. It gets athletes moving. It 
gets body temperature up and it gets you loosened up prior to the workout. You could even argue that a lot of the motions and different movement patterns you go through is kind of like almost like mobility work during a warm up phase. So it gets you guys feeling looser prior to a workout. So there's merit there. Um, also, um, I don't know if a lot of people have seen, but there's footages of Saquon Barkley during his ACL rehab using a speed ladder. But instead of doing tippy-tappy drills, he's actually planting the leg into the ground forcefully um, to kind of mimic these deceleration angles and um, forceful projections into the ground, which is key for decelerating. I really honestly think that that's probably a better use for it than a lot of what people think it's doing, which is kind of essentially improving their ability to um, move their feet fast. Um, when it comes to actual change of direction and decelerating, being able to stop on a dime, you have to be able to forcefully push your put your gr- foot into the ground. Um, and you see this here in that footage with uh, Saquon Barkley. Um, if you guys haven't, I'll l- put a link into the description of this so that way you guys can get an idea of that. But otherwise, I think that's a really good example of places where I think this has merit in training. And then lastly, um, Paul Favorites of PJF Performance talks a lot about the idea of positional delay. Um, Essentially, he's talking about how long does it take to get from a suboptimal position to an optimal position to create forces into the ground to where you can actually uh, get into better positions. So say I'm in a bad position and I need to get into a better one. That's kind of what the positional delay is talking about. If we're going to use an example, talking about maybe like a defensive slide scenario where you're trying to stay in front of a guy and instead of placing your foot in an optimal position to then change direction when the opposing player, you know, crosses you over, you know, instead of having your foot here, which would help you get back and cross back over into a better position, your foot was in a suboptimal position to where you couldn't put that force into the ground to then help you change direction quicker. That's essentially what he's getting at. Um, he argues that is it basically looks to improve um, firing rate of the neural impulses, um, improve general uh, work abilities to contract and relax, and then also improve uh, general movement bank, uh, which is essentially what movement options do you have? And essentially, if the more movement options we have available at our disposal, the more solutions we can come up with in-game. So to a degree, though, I think there is merit here with positional delay because it the, the concept itself sounds um, like it would make sense. But I also think there are better ways to do this without a ladder um, that do work the same concepts. So that leads into the final topic, and that's what would I do instead of these things? So number one, and I think this is very obvious, and as a strength coach, a lot of people will automatically go to this one, and that is get stronger. Um, I say if you are able to have a higher engine or higher ability to produce forces into the ground, chances are you're going to generate and generate and accelerate at higher speeds. 
and also if you can improve the your eccentric abilities or eccentric strength uh, on two legs and on one leg, the chances of you being able to successfully decelerate and change direction in sport are much higher because you're able to, um, I think absorb is the wrong word, but I think... Um, I think uh, just being able to handle higher eccentric forces at ground impacts, um, that is going to be very crucial for decelerating and changing direction. But in general, when it comes to speed, obviously, the more force we could project into the ground, the more ground we're going to cover and the faster we're going to be in short distances, which most team sports are. Uh, Next, using things like heavy sled sprints um, for speed development. I think obviously going back to the general theme of what I've been saying for the majority of the of the episode today, if we can produce higher forces into the ground, especially from a static position, we are going to improve not only our starting strength and our ability to produce force out of um, static positions, but we'll be able to produce higher levels of force into the ground with each one of our strides that are going to help us improve our acceleration. And again, number three, I think this goes without saying, but we like to, we at Challenger like to use sled drags and pushes for ex, um, an accessory work um, on our strength days to kind of, again, work on all these same qualities. Um, being able to produce force, higher levels of force into the ground at heavier loads. Um, we like to use these in increments with our strength work. So we run like a five, three, two, one. Um, strength uh, bi-weekly uh, strength phases. So when it's a five rep week, we'll do 10 yard pushes or drags. Um, when it's a three rep week, we'll go to a six yard. When it's a two yard, uh, when it's a two rep, we'll go to a four yard. And then when it's a one rep heavy week, um, we'll go to two yards. So that's how we kind of um, load those um, um and use distances. And then obviously, as the distance shortens, you increase weight to challenge the load. But again, we're working on all those same qualities, being able to produce force, um, as much force as possible into the ground in the horizontal plane, which again, matches up with our acceleration work. And the next one is, again, very, very obvious, guys, but it's true. 10-yard max speed sprints. Um, If you have a partner, this makes it even better because you can add competition. Um, Obviously, competition breeds a lot of success when it comes to our programs with our athletes. So if you have somebody to run against with your max speed work, chances are it's going to have you do a little bit more and get a little bit more out of it because there's a competition aspect of it and a guy that you are running against. And essentially, that's what sports is it's competition. So again, 10 yard max speed sprints, those are going to be great for helping you improve your speed. And another one, and I think this holds true with the whole aspect of positional delay, is doing your sprint work in positional variations, uh, positional variations, whether that is a half kneeling star, whether that's a push up star, whether it's a um, crawling position start or a, um, position where you're on your back or a back pedal, side shuffle, whatever the case may be, 
These are different variations that I think can take the place for uh, the positional delay work that Paul Favorites was talking about. Because essentially we're putting an athlete in a position to succeed without cueing them into these positions. So they're essentially going from a place of unconscious incompetence to a place of conscious competence. And if you don't know, um, if you don't know what that is, guys, I'm talking about the four stages of competence. Um, so essentially there's four stages of developing, um, levels of competence with athletes or whoever. If you're an educator, this is, this is something that's really important. So essentially you're going from a stage of unconscious incompetence, which is essentially ignorance. Um, most people start here and that's basically you're unaware of the skill and you're kind of lacking in proficiency. Um, and essentially what we're trying to do is we're getting to what is called unconscious competence where we're performing the skill and it essentially becomes automatic. We're not even thinking of it. So I like positional starts because we're essentially getting athletes in positions where we can improve sprint mechanics and improve their ability to essentially produce force in the right positions at the right times to, again, make our sprint work more efficient and improve our overall mechanics without actually having to cue them. Um, so I think these positional starts can actually take the place of this positional delay work in some aspects. So I think that's another way that you guys can do, um, can help not only improve your sprint work, but also, um, improve the work that speed ladders would essentially improve. And then lastly, from an agility standpoint, because obviously the biggest argument is that it works agility. Um, guys, agility work needs to be chaotic and uncontrolled because that's what it's like in a game. So um, number one, you need to be adding constraints, whether that's different starting positions, whether that's certain rules or regulations, you need to be adding constraints because that is going to um, create more movement variabilities and get athletes to create solutions to problems. Next, work decelerations. You know, we at Challenger, we actually actively work on decelerations. Um, we start with a five-yard variation, um, so lower entry speed buildups into the stop. Um, so we're working at lower entry speeds and progressing them from five to 10 yards, so a little bit higher entry speeds, and then progressing further into stop-start variations We are where we're working deceleration into reacceleration and vice versa we're getting them into different varying positions where then they work into change of direction working on those things is going to be crucial because again sport is chaotic it involves a lot of stopping starting changing direction we can't do that if we're working on tappy drills we need to be actually working on forcefully putting our leg into the ground, planting into the ground forcefully versus tippy tap drills. Next, if you want to work change of directions, playing tag or using partner mirror drills is a great place to do so. Again, it's competitive. It gets you reacting to an actual person or visual stimulus, which is again, what we're going to see in the game. 
in a game, you're going to be reacting to several different visual stimuli. You're going to be reacting to a ball. You're going to be reacting to a defender, an offensive player. You're going to essentially have to make decisions where you're going to have to make a decision that's going to impact a game. That's what sport is. Again, if you're doing memorized, rehearsed patterns, you already know what's going to happen. In a game, you can have somebody go and hit you with a crossover, and if you don't know that's coming, you're not going to be able to react and make a decision to ultimately help your team be successful on the defensive end. So, again, using things where you actually have to create a reaction. And that leads into the last couple things, which is reacting to other athletes or objects and reacting to different visual or auditory cues, whether that's doing deceleration work with a go or whistle or, or a stop on a, on, on a certain sound, a clap, whatever the case may be, reacting to those auditory cues or again, like a tag or a mirror drill where we're reacting to a visual or, or reacting to an athlete or doing agility work where we're doing active sprints and then we throw an object at the athlete and they have to react and dodge the ball or, um, put use foam rollers where they have to dodge the foam roller dropping or they have to make a decision based on which foam roller drops, um, having to stop, react to certain things. These are all going to be great variations that you can use to create chaotic environments where the athlete has to make decisions. And it's going to emulate the demands that we see in sport versus what we see in toe tappy drills that are pre-rehearsed. <clears throat> ah, excuse me. Needed water. Talking very fast with a lot of words and needed water, guys. <laughs> but essentially, guys, that is going to be it for this little mini episode. Again, guys, I really like doing these small little tidbits because I feel like it gives you guys a good amount of digestible information without having to overload you with too much. And it's something that you can just go right into your sessions and just be able to apply right away. Now, going forward, we are going to be actually having some guests on the show. Um, obviously, I have Jerry as one of them coming on the show. For those of you that do know him, if you follow me, chances are you know who he is. Um, I'm going to be having him on the show soon. And then I have a couple of close friends in the basketball industry um, and strength and conditioning industry that are going to be coming on the show as well soon. So be on the lookout for those. Those will be a little longer. Again, I'm going to try to keep those to about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour at best because I know a lot of people want those short digestible um, episodes. So guys, um, that'll be all for today. Um, I'm going to be you know, planning and trying to make this show even better. Um, if you guys enjoy, please hit that subscribe button and give us a review. It really helps the show. And that's it for today, guys. I'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.